morning, church family. I got to say, church family here in Perton, and also uh, church family online. I'm so much looking forward to uh, more and more of us being able to regather, and we're praying that way so that we can be fully the Lord's family meeting together in person. Well, um, if you were to describe the book of Revelation, how would you describe it? For some of us, uh, if we were honest, we would use the word weird. <laughs> it's kind of a weird book, and I, I get that. If you, if you read other books of the Bible, if you read the uh, Gospels, you read about historical events and things happening in people's lives. If you read the uh, New Testament letters, it's like a letter and there's instruction there. But when you start reading the book of Revelation, you get symbols, you get images, you get beasts, you get all sorts of... It's different. It's different than other kinds of books. Some of us might find it puzzling, like mystifying, mysterious, and I get that as well. But I hope as a church family, as we're studying it together, both Sunday mornings and as Jason said in our, in our uh, small groups in Zoom, and please jump in on that because there's so much to learn together as a church family, I hope you will discover it a powerful book because it is a very powerful book. Um, it's a powerful book because the topic of the book is Jesus Christ. It's the revelation of Jesus Christ. It's about him. He's the subject, and he reveals himself through this book. That's why it's powerful. It's also powerful because the nature of the book is to open these windows. We've seen, you could call this book Windows 96. It was written in 96 AD, inspired by the Holy Spirit, but what the Holy Spirit does is he opens these windows so that we can see things with our physical eyes in the unseen realm. Things that you cannot see with your physical eyes, but as the Holy Spirit opens those windows, we get insight, we get revelation into, into heaven, into future events. And so um, it's a book that opens up these windows. And the first window we saw, in the first window in Revelation chapter 1, the Holy Spirit opens this window and we get a vision of the awesome, risen Jesus Christ. The one who loves us and the one who walks among us and speaks into our lives. And uh, as we, we receive this vision, we see he's, he's one like a son of man. He's heaven's glorious king who comes out of the presence of the ancient of days and rides when he comes at the end of the age on with clouds exploding behind him in glory and power to rule the earth. He has hair that is white like snow, white like wool, like the ancient of days himself. He has eyes of blazing fire. He has a voice um, like the sound of rushing waters, like a waterfall or a pounding surf powerful, authoritative. He, he has a sharp double-edged sword coming out of his mouth that cuts through all things. And yes, he has a face that's so brilliant like the sunshine, you have to turn away from it because it's just blinding brilliance, unapproachable light. And John shares this vision of the majestic Christ and then he is so overwhelmed, he's so awestruck, he's flat on his face. And so would you and me if we actually had the same vision that John had when we get a glimpse of the glory of the risen Jesus. He's the, the glorious king of heaven, but he's the one who loves us. He's the one who loves us and shed his blood to free us from our sins. 
He's the king who adopted us into his family, made us part of his royal family, made us princes and princes who will, princesses who will reign with him forever in the new creation. He's the one who is our perfect high priest, who represents us perfectly because there was no sin in his life, but he's walked in your slippers and he knows what you go through in life and he understands and he relates. And so you read his messages and he says, I know this about you. I know this about you. I know this about your churches. I know this about New Hope Kailua. I know this about your family. I know this about your life. I understand. I get it. And I love you. And I gave my life for you, a one-time perfect sacrifice. He's our perfect representative, our high priest. And out of that heart of love, guess what he does? He speaks into our lives. He speaks into our lives. So you read his messages to the churches and to us, and he speaks word of praise. He commends us. I see what you're doing. You're doing great in this. Keep it up. Nice job. Well done. But he also loves us enough to correct us. He says, I also see this in your life. And if you take that path, it's going to lead to self-destruction. It's going to lead to ruin. It's going to lead to, to pain. And won't you follow me on the path of life and victory and joy and love? And so he'll correct us, just like every loving authority does, just like every loving parent when he sees his children making bad decisions. They want to correct us and warn us. If you go down that path, there's going to be bad things happen. But then he inspires us. He says, but if you, if you change direction, if you repent, if you head and follow me on this path of life and love, guess what? There's going to be glorious things in your future. All of, that is, all of his messages flow out of this heart of love. And it struck me uh, um, just how much, how powerful a revelation of Jesus in this, his very first message, and yes, it was a couple weeks ago, but as I thought about it, and, and the Holy Spirit just impressed him on my heart, that first message to Ephesus, it's the overarching, it's the source of every one of his messages to the churches, to our lives. He says it all in the first message, and what's his first message? His first message is this. I love you with a perfect love. I want you to come back and love me with your first love. It's a revelation of a lover. The majestic heavenly king has a heart full of love for you. And the very first, yes, he cares about our doctrine and he cares about our endurance and he cares about our service and he cares about our purity. But most of all, he says this, I love you with a perfect love, an unfailing love, and I'm calling you back to your first love for me. That's what he says to the church of Ephesus. I want you to rekindle that first love. It's heaven's lover calling out to you and me to give us, to give him our first love. Now, if you're married, you've, you've had some experience with this. You can maybe understand something into the heart of Jesus who has a full heart of love for his people. You're not married yet? God willing, you might experience them. It was 38 years ago. I, I can't believe it's 38 years. I know Martha and I got married when we were five years old. <laughs> 38 years ago, I met this amazing woman, and I fell head over heels in love with her. And by God's goodness, she fell head over heels in love with me. And we stood together, and, and, and we said, I want to make you the first love of my life. Under God, under Jesus, I want to make you the first. That's what we did. And we made a vow before God and our friends and our family. For the rest of our lives, we were going to be first love lovers. Now imagine a few months, a couple years after that, if Martha came to me and she said, you know, 
I met this really interesting guy, and uh, he's a lot of fun to be with. And, um, you know, um, I, I still love you, but um, I'd like to date him a couple times a month. Time out! <laughs> Honey, I want your first love. It's not okay when we stood and, and, and made each other first love lovers. We gave up boyfriends and girlfriends. We don't date anymore. Our lives changed. You're my first love, and I, I want that first love from you. Oh, okay, and so maybe a few months after that, she said, you know what? I, I got this job, but it's in a different community, so I'm going to have to go and live there, but you know what? I'll drop in in your life now in a while, once in a while, Rick. No! Time out! Honey, I want your first love. I don't want that job to get your first love. And... Um, I would be drawing her and calling her back to a first love. What if she said after that, she said, you know what? Um, I'm at this stage in my life where I'm really enjoying this group of girlfriends in my life. And we have a lot of fun together. And I like hanging out with them. And I still love you. But um, I'm going to see if I can work you into my schedule now and then. <laughs> I'd say, hang on. I want to be your first love. I want us to rekindle and recapture. And those of us that have been married even more than two months realize that takes for two human beings, a rekindling, a recapturing, an investment to keep that first love. Jesus loves us with a perfect love. And the, the, the illustration I've given you breaks down because in a human marriage, there's two people who have to work with it. Jesus never fails in his love. He loves us with an unfailing love, a perfect love, a sacrificial love, an unconditional love. I loved what Pastor Mark shared this morning because it was right from the Holy Spirit onto his heart. Wherever we've been, whatever we've done, he loves us with that perfect, unfailing love because he is love. And so we have heaven's king, heaven's lover, his first message that I think is the source and the root of all of his messages to us through the churches in Revelation 2 and 3 is simply this. I want you to rekindle that first love. I want you to recapture that first love. I have a heart of love for you. And when I speak into your lives, it's shaped and guided and, and fulfilled by that love for you. And that's, um, it's a wonderful thing. I love Mara's testimony this morning. I think, what a great thing to be a part of a church family where what we do is we encourage one another to make Jesus our first love. And that's what we do in our Zoom groups and that we do on Sunday mornings and that's what we do in our relationships. How can we encourage and support you to make Jesus, your first love, because that's the path of life, that's the path of joy, that's the path of blessing, that's the path of victory. That's the source of life. So what's his message to you and me this morning? Out of that full heart of perfect love, well, it's the message to Thyatira. It's a message to one of these historical churches. We're going to see what that message is to that historical church, but beyond that, what, what his message is to you this morning and what his message is to me through the church of Thyatira. So um, we'll look at this church, and before we look at the text, I wanted to show you some pictures because, as a reminder, these were historical churches. These were real people, real cities, real events that um, Jesus speaks into, and as he speaks into those real people's lives and real people history, he's speaking into our lives as well. So the first picture I want to show you is just a reminder of where Thyatira is. Um, as the Apostle John wrote to these churches, Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamos, Thyatira, you can see he's speaking on a mail route. <laughs> That's the way the mail route would have gone. He's speaking in that order. So there's Thyatira we're going to look at this morning. Just a couple of shots to uh, remind you of the ancient ruins. Um, <clears throat> 
there's the football stadium. No, they didn't have football in those days. They weren't quite that civilized. But that was the theater at, at Thyatira, and they had social events, and they had plays, and they had athletic events. It was, um, they had a, a significant, they would have had the super, they could have held, held the Super Bowl there. That was part of uh, Thyatira. Next couple of pictures are simply some of the ruins that this was a historical city, had real people, there was stuff going on. Uh, one more, and then a final picture of, there's some more of the ruins uh, much later than the first century, but it gives you an idea of modern day, this is all in Turkey, and some of the ancient ruins at um, what was the city of Thyatira. This picture is an artist's rendering of a temple to Apollo. It wasn't in um, Thyatira, it's actually in the city of Delphi. And it's an artist rendering, but in Delphi, we have the archaeological remains of what would have looked like a temple of Apollo. Here's two things. So that'll give you an idea of, although I'm not saying this uh, exact building was in Thyatira, we have no archaeological evidence in Thyatira, but this is what one temple to Apollo looked like in another city. What's significant about, the, uh, about Thyatira? Two things, really. Number one, their patron city, their patron god was Apollo, the son of Zeus. The son of Zeus. We're going to see why that's significant. But that city had adopted Apollo as their patron god. Even more important, this was a city where trade guilds, kind of like modern day unions, were powerful and they exercised powerful influence over the people in that city. They had all sorts of uh, unions, trade guilds, they had leather workers, they had um, weavers, they had blacksmiths, they had bronze smiths, they had all these uh, candlestick makers, they had all of these uh, guilds, trade guilds of people that were working class people, but they um, uh, were organized into these trade guilds and with those trade guilds, oh and by the way, one of them was the, uh, the uh, workers of, of purple cloth, and um, one of the interesting New Testament facts was Lydia, the first Christian in Europe. When the Apostle Paul went to Europe and planted a church in Philippi, the first person we read came to faith in Christ was this lady named Lydia. She was from Thyatira. She was a purple cloth maker, purple cloth dyer. And um, so she was, um, her background at least, was in that trade city. And, but here was the significant thing. With these trade guilds, with these unions, came worship feasts, came worship festivals, where each guild would have their own patron god. And there were multiple gods. And so they would have their own patron god for that trade guild, and they would offer sacrifices to that god, and they would worship that god at the trade feast, at the uh, worship festival, and they would also, it would often lead to all sorts of immorality, sexual immorality. And um, some of the, uh, the worship of the ancient uh, world was very sexually immoral. And um, we're going to see that had a profound effect on the Christians in Thyatira. So let's read together and we'll see, as, as Pastor Mark pointed out last week, every one of Jesus' messages to his church follows this pattern. A reminder, a revelation of the unseen reality of who's speaking. So the message at Thyatira is this. To the angel of the church in Thyatira, write this. And a reminder of who's speaking, the unseen reality that we cannot see, cannot see with his, our physical eyes, but he's just as real in his spiritual reality. He says this, these are the words of the Son of God. 
Now that's significant because you read the book of Revelation. This is the one time the risen Jesus is called the Son of God. And it's to the city who thought that Apollo was the son of Zeus. The son of Zeus was the highest god in the Greek pantheon. So they would have, it's not Apollo, the patron city of the god. It's Jesus who is the real, the true son of God. And by the way, we've seen in future weeks, there are coins that they would use uh, had a picture of, of um, Domitian's son, and it said the, the uh, divine son of the emperor, that Domitian's son was the son of the living God. And, and John is saying, Jesus is saying through John, no, it's not Domitian, it's not Apollo, it's Jesus. He's the son of God. He's the true son of God. And so that's an interesting thing to note to this church. It's not the son of uh, it's not the son of Zeus. It's not the son of, Dalma of uh, Domitian. Jesus is the true son of God, the one who reigns from heaven. But he says this, these are the words of the son of God whose eyes are like blazing fire. He sees with penetrating and purifying insight and whose feet are like burnished bronze. And there were bronze workers there like strength and, and, and purity coming out of the furnace. Where he walks is with strength and with purity. And he sees with penetrating insight and purity. That's the image. And so what's the in, uh, unseen reality? The risen Jesus, the true son of God. He walks among us. He has legs. And we saw he walks among his churches. He's walking in this room right now. Although we don't see him, he's walking in your living room. He is powerfully present although we don't see him with our physical eyes. And he sees with penetrating and purifying incense. And what does he say? What does he say to the church of Thyatira? Well, he starts with a commendation. He starts with praise. He says, I know your deeds. I understand because I see what's going on in your lives. I see your love, your love for God and your love for people. That's exactly what Jesus said the way we ought to live. I see your love. I see your faith. You're trusting God in the circumstances of your lives. That's awesome. Well done. He says, and I see your service that out of your heart of love and your faith in Jesus, you're actually serving each other and you're serving other people. You've captured the heart of Jesus, the servant of the Lord. I see all of these good things in your life and I see your perseverance. I see your enduring difficult circumstances. I see you walking through a pandemic. I see you through the difficult circumstances of your life and, and I commend you and these are good things. Well done, followers of Jesus. Now, but he commends and he praises and he sees the valuable things that they're doing. But that leads to the correction. With the commendation, he says, but I've got this uh, that we need to talk about. And yes, sometimes the corrections need to be phrased fairly harshly as a rebuke. And those of us that are parents, sometimes it's, yeah, we gentle correction. Sometimes we need a, a strong rebuke. So what does he say to the church in Thyatira? He says this, nevertheless... With all of this praise, with all of this affirmation, with all of these good things you're doing, we got to talk about this. I have this against you, and it's serious. You tolerate that woman Jezebel, who calls herself a prophet. She says she's speaking from God. By her teaching, she misleads my servants into what? Sexual immorality and eating of food sacrificed to idols. What's going on in Thyatira? There's this teacher, I don't know, nobody knows whether it was a man or a woman, but he says, this is Jezebel. Why would you use the term Jezebel? Well, if we read our Old Testament, you can read it sometimes, 1 Kings 16 to 18. Jezebel was a 
woman who, um, she was Phoenician. She was uh, a daughter of the king of Phoenicia, and uh, she married King Ahab, an Israelite king, a king over God's people, God's kingdom on earth. But she brought Baal worship, the worship of the fertility god, into God's chosen people and kingdom. And uh, she became identified with wickedness and immorality because Baal was a fertility god and there was all sorts of sexual immorality that was involved with Baal worship. She brought that into Israel. She fought against God's prophets, Elijah and Elisha, and she became known as wicked and idolatrous and immoral. And um, I'll tell you, if you have a daughter, you want to name her Deborah. Or you want to name her Esther. You do not want to name her Jezebel. Jezebel is wickedness and immorality. And this was what was going on in Thyatira. And what she was doing, or he was doing, we don't know, but the false teaching was this. You can, and this is out of Jezebel too. Jezebel didn't say, oh, don't worship Yahweh, don't worship the living God. You can worship the living God and you can worship Baal. You can have both. And what was going on in Thyatira was, oh, you can worship Jesus, yep. He can, you can worship Jesus, but you can also worship whatever that trade guild God is. You can participate in that trade guild. You can go to those worship festivals and eat the food that was offered to a pagan idol, and you can get involved with the sexual immorality because at the end of the evening, maybe they take their clothes off and they're dancing to the gods. Who knows where it goes? But there's sexual immorality with a lot of those fertility. Artemis, we showed you in a previous week, was one of the um, fertility gods, and and we have pictures that we, we have actually found in Ephesus, images of her, and she's got all these bare breasts all over her body because, and there was sexual immorality with the, the temple worship that went on with Artemis. So this was part of the world they lived in. And whoever this Jezebel person was saying, yeah, it's okay, you can worship Jesus and you can go to, to um, those uh, worship feasts and, and, and participate in this food that's offered to pagan idols and participate in the immorality and, and you can have both. And Jesus says, we've got to talk about this. Uh, I'm going to bring judgment on that because it's the path of destruction. And even more than that, it's you shrinking back from your first love. Look at the words he says. She misleads my servants into sexual immorality and the eating of food sacrificed to idols. I have given her time to repent of her immorality. There's grace there with this false teaching, but she is unwilling this false teacher is continuing in that path. So I will cast her on a bed of suffering. I'll bring sickness into her life. And I will make those who commit adultery with her suffer intensely. So if you're going to go on that path of idolatry and immorality, there's going to be judgment. There's going to be discipline. Unless they repent, they turn direction and reject that stuff and don't compromise their faith in Jesus as their first love. I will strike her children dead. It's interesting because um, Domitian's son was struck dead. That might have been in part of the background of this text. Then all the churches will know that I am he who searches hearts and minds, and I will repay each of you according to your deeds. What's going on? Jezebel, the epitome of adultery, of, of, of uh, immorality and idolatry, um, there's teaching in the church that, yeah, you can worship Jesus and you can participate in that feast. And he's saying, no, you cannot. And I'm going to bring judgment. And I'm going to bring discipline. So what's the correction? He says, reject the false teaching that compromises you in your workplace. This was the workplace. 
This was where you worked, where you made a living, whether you were a leather worker, whether you were a stone cutter, or whatever your job was. Don't compromise your faith in your workplace. Um, or you will face judgment. I love you enough that I'm going to bring an end to that. And um, does God use sickness and even death to bring discipline and judgment on his people? Yes, he does. If you want another example of it, read 1 Corinthians 11. You can read that later. Where the church at Corinth was abusing the practice of the Lord's Supper. And he says, this is why some of you are sick. And this is why some of you have died. And um, he will step in and bring an end and, and discipline to his children out of a heart of love when they are way off the rails. And that's what's going on at Thyatira. So he brings a word of correction. And then he brings a word of challenge and exhortation. Now I say to the rest of you, because not everyone was getting sucked into this compromise through this false teaching. I say the rest of you in Thyatira, to you who do not hold to her teaching. There were some Christians that were saying, no, I don't buy that. You can't worship Jesus and worship at the feast. you got to make a choice. And um, first love. I'm going to reject. Now, that had a significant con consequence for a lot of people. Um, because, uh, and, and we're going to talk about this um, in a minute, but uh, a lot of those Christians in the first century were persecuted because they wouldn't participate in the pagan idolatry and the pagan immorality that was, that was part of, it was built into the system. And so you would be excluded from the union. Well, where would you get a job? How would you care for your family? And you would be socially outcast. And the Apostle John is in, in, in uh, Padmos, exiled in his 80s. Why? Because he wouldn't bow the knee to the pagan gods. And he wouldn't take a, a bit of incense and throw it on the altar and say, Kairos, Kyrios, that Caesar is God. No, Jesus is God. And he is, alone is God. And, and Christians were persecuted for taking a stand, sometimes with their jobs, sometimes with their economics. And that's what's going on. And yet, Jesus is calling his people to first love in their workplace. So here's the point. It says, to you who do not hold to her teaching, who have not learned, learned Satan's so-called deep secrets. That's interesting. Where did this false teaching come from? The pit of hell. Satan is behind the, that false teaching. Even though it's a human spokesman, he's uh, recognizing that this is rooted in the pit of hell. I will not impose any other burden on you except to hold on what you have until I come. Those of you that are standing against this false teaching to involve yourself in practices through your guilds of sexual immorality and idolatry. Those of you that are rejecting that, just keep doing what you're doing. I'm not going to add anything. You're loving God. You're serving. You're enduring. And um, he affirms that again. So what's the challenge? What's your exhortation? In your workplace, repent. Change directions for those that are being sucked into this false teaching. We're actually practicing this idolatry and this immorality. Be faithful to your first love. Did you notice the words there? You're committing adultery. Now, practically, physically, could well be they got involved in that immorality and they were physically committing ad adultery. But more than that, they are committing adultery in their spiritual relationship with Jesus. They're turning from him being their first love. And so uh, he's, he's, he's speaking lover terms. He's saying, you're committing adultery when you go after those pagan idols and, and immoral practices. Don't go there. Repent. Turn from it. Be faithful to Jesus as your first love. 
And then he says, secondly, keep doing the good things you're doing. Keep doing the good things you're doing. Now, he ends with a promise. And every one of us has, if you, if you overcome, if you follow the path of life, if you follow ultimately me, Jesus, these are good things that are going to happen in your future. To the one who is victorious and does my will to the end, who does not compromise their faith in their workplace, I will give authority over the nations. Unbelievable. What? We will reign with Christ. He actually quotes Psalm 2. This is, talk about inspirational. Psalm 2 speaks about Jesus coming at the end of the world with judgment and authority. He will rule them with an iron scepter, will dash them to pieces like pottery. He's coming to judge the wicked nations, and he has authority, and you have that authority with him. Just as I have received authority from my father, he says this, I will also give the, that one the morning star. What's the morning star? Jesus is the bright and morning star. Revelation chapter 22, it says, I'm giving you more of my, myself, and you will reign with me. I will share my authority to rule with you. Whoever has ears, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. What's the promise, Ward? What's the inspiration? This is mind-boggling. You will rule with Christ in the new creation, in the new universe, in the world to come. <laughs> that's mind-boggling, but that's what he says. If you can turn and not compromise your faith and live out your life with Jesus as your first love in every arena of your life, including your work. Now, that's the message to Thyatira. What's the message to us? Probably none of us have been tempted to go to a worship festival and eat food that was offered to Apollo or Artemis or Zeus. Anybody of you been included in one of those parties? No. Where it ends up in sexual immorality because of the debate. No. Okay, so does the Word of God have, does the Holy Spirit have something to say to you? Absolutely he does. Just in a, applying it in our circumstances. So here's what he says. Reject the idols of materialism and achievement. The idols we have today are just more sophisticated. I don't know anybody who, who worships Zeus or Apollo or Artemis or any of these ancient pagan idols and gods. But there are people who worship success, who worship making money, materialism, who, whose number one thing in their life, even more important than Jesus, is to make money, to be a professional success, to... Um, um, sell out, if you will, for money and stuff and achievement. achievement. Now, these are good things. Achievement and money God can use and, and wants to use. The issue is whether you make them your God, whether they're number one, whether they're the first love of your heart. That's the issue. I just want to share an example. I learned this lesson just by observation, and I'm, not that I've got it mastered, but when I was in my 20s, when I was a young adult, I had two friends that showed me two different kingdoms. I had one friend, and she despised her dad. When I got to know her, we were involved in a canoeing thing together, a group of people, and I learned she, she just despised her dad. And you know why she despised her dad? She's in her 20s. It was very sad. Her dad, his primary goal in life was to build a successful engineering company. He graduated with an engineering degree. He sold himself out, worked countless hours, toiled himself to build this company, build this company. And all during those years, she grew up as a little girl, and she didn't have a dad. She didn't have a dad. Now she's in her 20s and her dad had made it. His dad, her dad was successful. He had a big company, a lot of employees, a lot of money, bought a cottage at the lake, bought a motorboat, and tried to win her love with stuff, even though he hadn't been there all those years. 
and she deeply resented it. She told me, she said, you know, I feel like a prostitute. I feel like he's trying to get my love with money. He's trying to get my love with money. I thought, how sad, what a tragedy. Because this man made his God a successful engineering company, and he paid a price none of us would want to pay. That was one friend I had. I had another friend who I happened to know through circumstances I won't go into, but my, my other friend, his dad was an entrepreneur. He had a bunch, he had half a dozen different businesses, and he just would build businesses. If you knew him, he lived in just a normal house. It wasn't a mansion, <laughs> wasn't a big deal. He, he drove a car like anybody else. There was nothing about his financial life that stood out, but I found out he was a multi-millionaire. He'd made a ton of money into his business, but guess what he did with his money? He gave it to Jesus. This was a guy who saw his, the, the whole point of his business was to raise money for the kingdom of God. And so he, he gave that money that he made as an entrepreneur to, to the church, to Christian organizations, to everything that would help people come to know who Jesus is, help develop them in their faith, missions. That's what drove his business. It wasn't money itself for money's sake. He didn't build bigger barns and store stuff up. He gave and he invested in the kingdom. And you know what? Jesus was his first love. And my friend, he loved his dad. He saw the reality of Jesus in his dad. And he followed Jesus because of his dad. And it wasn't just him, his two other brothers, the whole family followed Jesus. And um, just an example of two different kingdoms. What are you living for? Who's your God? And there are idols in the marketplace. They're just not wooden or statues of Artemis or Apollo or whatever. They're unseen kind of gods that people put in front of Jesus. So here's what we need to do. How do you... In, in, be faithful to your first love in the workplace. Reject the idols of materialism. Reject the idols of achievement for achievement's sake. Achievement is good. You get a promotion, but never let that fill the place of Jesus being your first love and your priority. And I actually know some people who have turned down promotions because they realize I'd have to pay a price in my work where I, I don't want to pay that price in my family. I don't want to pay that price in my lifestyle. I don't want to pay that price with my Christian ministry because I want to be able to invest my hours in things that count, not just making money or professional success. So those are sometimes tough decisions. The question is, who's your first love? Who's your first love? Here's the second one. Way to keep Jesus' first love in your marketplace. Represent Jesus in your words and in your conduct. Okay, you may not be tempted, but uh, uh, I don't want to minimize. There are times in your work, in your social circumstances, where you are tempted to uh, sinful activity in your speech. Sometimes, I don't know if you're going to, it's been a lot of years, I've been a pastor since I've been 30 years old, and I haven't heard too many pastors use cuss words, but when I was working on the construction scene, and as a young adult, I remember working all day with guys every, you know, three F words in every sentence. I remember going home, I was living with my parents at the time, and you just hear that all day, and you think that all day, and you, you start speaking like everyone else is speaking. And uh, I can remember one time almost saying, I caught myself sitting with my parents at the table, would you pass the F and butter? You don't talk like that, but it gets ingrained in you, and you have to make decisions not to talk the way other people talk. Um, and, and, and it may not just be profanity. Uh, some of you can identify that with your jobs. Um, sometimes it's gossip. When I was a high school teacher, I got caught into this political situation between the department head and the principal, and there was lots of gossip, and everybody went in your corner. And 
It's sometimes tough to say, you know, I'm just not going to gossip. I'm going I'm to honor God with my words. I'm only going to speak words that build up, words that are pure and not get involved in, in this stuff. That's representing Jesus in your words, in your conduct, and yes, in your activity. And, and I did, uh, when I, in my teaching years, there were social occasions. I remember one of the worst ones was the Christmas parties. We'd have a Christmas party, I'd want to go, and, and yet, you know, the drinking, and then the dancing, and then the flirting, and then people go home with other people, and it's like, no, um, I don't want to be a part of this. And sometimes you just have to draw a line and say, I, I, I just won't participate in this activity. What's going on in the middle? I could tell you football stories. I won't take the time. But as a follower of Jesus, you, you represent Jesus with your words and with your actions. And um, that's one way to keep him your first love. Third one, do your work for the Lord. I hope you've been captured by this. Whatever your job is, military, union, teacher, accountant, whatever work you do, you realize that you do your work as unto the Lord. You've got a human boss, but you work as though Jesus is your boss. Why? Because he is your boss. And you seek to please Jesus, not to be a man pleaser or a woman pleaser. And that's right out of Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 7. That's keeping him in your first love. Lord, I'm doing my work unto you, which means I don't slack off like everybody else does at certain times because you're watching and I'm doing my work to you. And um, that will change my work ethic and, and your work patterns as well. But that's part of keeping Jesus' first love on the job. Fourthly, this might blow you away. Give Jesus the first of your paycheck. What? Yeah. Give Jesus the very first part of your paycheck as a love offering. Where do you get that from? Well, Proverbs says, honor the Lord Jesus with your wealth, with your income, the first fruits, not the leftovers, the first of your income, you honor him by you, you give back to him. And why is it a love offering? Because Jesus said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, everything you got. Where do you spend most of your strength? On your job. 40 plus hours a week, you give all of your energy, you give all of your work to your job. And your paycheck is the rewards of that. So when you give back to God something of your paycheck, you are loving him with your strength. And Jesus, that's what he cares about. He's a first love lover. He cares about your heart. That's why he says in the other references in there, Matthew chapter 6, that when you give to the Lord, uh, where your treasure is, there your heart will be. Because where you spend your money shows your value. So we're going to take a moment and pass around checkbooks. No, I'm just kidding. Because your checkbook shows what you really love, what you spend your money on. And um, Jesus says, I just want to be your first love. And I know you've got a family to take care of. And I know the rent in Hawaii is expensive. And I know it's very expensive to live in Hawaii. I just want the first love of your heart. And um, whether it's one zero on that check or two zeros or, or um, you know, Jesus commended the woman in the temple who gave two coins. It's not the size of the check. It's the response of the heart. That's what, because he's a lover. He doesn't need your money. He doesn't need my money. What he says is, I want your first love. And, and when you give back to me, it shows me that you value me, that, that you recognize that everything you have comes from me. Spiritual, physical. What do you have that didn't come from God? Answer, nothing. <laughs> your financial opportunities, your education, your health, your... Everything, the country we live in, the prosperity, everything comes from God. And it's just a way of saying, I give back to you the first of my income, not the leftovers, the first of my, because I love you and I want to honor you with my life, with everything. That's a key way 
to keep Jesus the first love of our lives. There's all of these different ways in the workplace. So you may not be tempted to a pagan festival with meat offered to Molech or whoever, um, but we have plenty of opportunities to keep Jesus the first love of our work life. And the second one I've already mentioned, keep growing in your love for those of you who haven't compromised your faith in the marketplace, who've been loyal to Jesus. Just keep doing what you're doing. Keep loving God. Keep loving people. Keep serving people. Keep enduring the difficulties. Keep trusting God. Just keep on keeping on with the good stuff you're doing. I, I'm a little biased, but I think that there's a good message there for New Hope Kailua. It's certainly for a lot of people in our church. Just keep doing what you're doing. We don't need to add to that because you're loving God and you're loving people and you're giving and you're serving and you're enduring and you're trusting and let's keep encouraging one another to, to uh, do what we're already doing. One final word and we're piled for this morning. That's God's message to you and me from the church of Thyatira. The next message is Sardis and we'll mention this one fairly quickly because Jesus now speaks to this church at Sardis, the next one on the mail route. This was a church that was in need of revival. This was a church that was sleepwalking. There may be some of us in our church family who may identify with this or watching online say, this is God's message to me. It's basically this, you need to revive yourself. So just very quickly, let's look at his word to Sardis. To the angel, to the church in Sardis, and again, he reminds us of this unseen reality. We can't see who's speaking. We can't hear with our physical ears, but we want to have ears to hear spiritually. He says this, to the angel of the church in Sardis, write this, these are the words of him who holds the seven spirits of God. What's he talking about? There aren't seven Holy Spirits. There's one Holy Spirit, but when it talks about the seven, it's talking about the completion, the fullness. He's saying he holds the fullness of the Holy Spirit in his hands and the seven stars. What are the seven stars? They're the seven churches. What he's saying is the one who's speaking is the risen Jesus. He exercises sovereign power, absolute power through the Holy Spirit over the churches, including New Hope Kailua. He's got the whole world in his hands. He's got the whole world. He's got the fullness of the Holy Spirit in his hands. He's got the whole fullness. Of, he's got all of the churches in his hands. He's got New Hope Kailua. He's got your family. In his, he's got your life. That's why Pastor Rick doesn't lead worship, by the way. <laughs> but you get the idea. It's all in his hands. The fullness of the Holy Spirit. The fullness of the churches. He's got absolute power over all things and that's why we worship him and then he again he affirms this church in Sardis I know your deeds I know what's going on in your life you have a reputation of being alive but you are dead Whoa. you look good on the outside and you got this reputation but I see with my penetrating eyes and purifying eyes that on the inside it's junk and he sees that and we we can be impressive, we can put on an act for others, but he sees where there's need for revival. And probably all of us can identify with this in an, to a certain level. He says, what's the correction? Your reputation of being alive doesn't match your true spiritual condition because there's deadness inside. You're about to die. So what does he tell us to do? Wake up! His challenge is his exhortation. Wake up, strengthen what remains and is about to die what's dwindling away, wake up, for I have found your deeds unfinished in the sight of God. There's so much more you have to complete. Remember what you have received and heard. Hold it fast. Obey it. You've had this faith. 
you're sleepwalking now, but you need to wake up. But if you do not wake up, I will come like a thief, and you will not know what time I will come to you. He speaks about sudden judgment. He doesn't say what that judgment or discipline will be, but he loves you enough that he will come and bring pain into your life to bring correction, to bring judgment, to bring discipline. Just like any loving parent, sometimes with a child, you have to bring a little bit of pain, maybe grounding them, maybe taking away their allowance, maybe even spanking their bottom if they're little and they're rebellious. But you need to bring some pain into their life so that they, they wake up and they realize this is foolishness and this is destructive. Yet you have a few people in Sardis, here's the commendation, who have not soiled their clothes. They haven't stained their lives with compromise. They haven't fallen asleep. Some have remained loyal to Jesus and not compromised to the world. And so what's the promised reward to this church? They will walk with me. This is unbelievable. Think about what it means to walk with Jesus, dressed in white, for they are worthy. Jesus, who's absolutely worthy, the one who is victorious, who overcomes, who wakes up, who follows me, who obeys me, like them, will be dressed in white, purity, honor. I will never blot out the name of that person from the book of life. They will have security in their salvation, but will acknowledge that name before my Father and his angels. Whoever has ears to hear, did you hear what he's saying? This is unbelievable. This is incredible. This is inspirational. If, if you're sleepwalking, revive yourself. And yes, the Holy Spirit's involved with that, but the commands here are what you need to do. He will do his part. He's the author of revival, personal and corporate and national. But you revive yourself and do these things. What do you need to do? Uh, wake up. Strengthen what you have. Remember your faith. Obey it. If you don't, you will face unexpected judgment. That's his word to us. But look at the reward. We will walk with Jesus. And what does that mean? Well, it means purity. It means honor. It means victory. It means glory. You want to walk in Jesus' parade. That's a beautiful place to be. And he will secure our salvation. And catch this. He will acknowledge you before the Father. He will acknowledge you before the Father. He's going to say, Father, take a look at Akaika. <laughs> yeah, he's the Raiders guy who's so good looking. He's one of my guys. He belongs to me. I'm going to acknowledge him with you. Whoa, what an honor. Uh, Father, there's Salote. Yeah, the one with all the kids hanging around her. She's got this big and booming family. And you know what? She's one of my girls. She's my daughter. She belongs to me. And uh, put your name in that. You know, Pastor Rick. And Jesus says, he's one of those guys. He's one of my sons. He's one of my princes. He belongs to me. He gets to be in my glory parade. I want him walking. That's, I, I don't know about you, but that's mind-boggling. Let's take that, that uh, thought and, and put your name on it and be encouraged that wherever you're at in your faith, and all of us need a level of revival. And all of us, I'm being revived by the series in Revelation because I'm coming back to the fact of how much is Jesus really my first love? And how can I encourage us as a church family? And how can we encourage what with Mara and who was it last week? We had um, Mike and Leah and, and we have others. Of just encouraging. This is how I keep Jesus' first love in my life. These are some things I'm doing. And it's a beautiful thing to be a part of a church family that does that. So let me close with this thought. What is the reason, risen Jesus' word to us? Wake up. If we're sleeping at all, if we're just maybe dozing, maybe taking a little nap, wake up and um, 
and follow Jesus and obey him and make him your first love and experience the fullness of life that he wants for us here and now, but in unbelievable ways in the future. Uh, walking with Jesus, reigning over a new creation. Let me invite you to stand and we'll pray together and pray for one another. Father, thank you for the reality of, of Jesus being here in this room, of walking among us as his people and being in living rooms, just involved in our lives with a heart of love, drawing us in every way back to that first love. Thank you, Jesus, that you love us with a love that was willing to give your life, that you came and you showed that. You didn't just talk a game. You actually were tortured to death on a cross, but you rose from the dead and you broke the power of death and you took the keys out of that prison and you have the keys to eternal life. And Lord, we want to walk that path of life and victory and obedience and fullness that you invite us on. Thank you that it's all rooted in your heart of love for us. So whatever our circumstances are this morning, Lord, and we want to have ears to hear individually and yes, as a church family, what you speak into our lives. We know it comes from a heart of love and we know that you love good things for your children. Thank you for your love that is unfailing, that is always welcoming, that is always forgiving, that is always strengthening, that is always waiting if we would simply turn our hearts towards you. We want to do that afresh this morning. So strengthen us by your spirit. We love you, Lord Jesus. And we want to continue to be those who love you with our first love. In Jesus' name, amen.